Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And Greg Galley is on the other end of the line. I would call him really a very good friend. He owns a company called Solve Next in Half Moon Bay, California. And he also has a book called Think Wrong that everybody who's listening to this podcast should get. We're going to be talking about a few things out of this book. Greg, good day to you. How are you doing? Oh, great to see you, Greg. I'm doing very well. Thanks. Well, it's a pleasure having you on the show. And when I did the training with you and Mike up in Half Moon Bay, I was so impressed. And we've continued our friendship and just kind of discussed this. And for my listeners, anybody who's in leadership or is in doing what I call business development, decision making, uh, in making and or involved in innovating a company, you really need to listen closely uh, to this podcast, okay? Because uh, Greg Galley and Solve Next, it's S O L V E N E X T dot com, uh, would be the default from you. Actually, this all started <clears throat> from John Bielenberg. John Bielenberg used to be Greg's, uh, I guess, partner, sure. uh, along with Mike Burns. And Bielenberg and I met at a conference in Claremont Colleges, at the Claremont Colleges. And that goes back like many, many moons ago. And um, I always respected him and still follow him on the internet. So there's three people. There's Mike Burns, Greg Galley, and John Bielenberg. And not that Greg isn't a fascinating guy, but John Bielenberg is a pretty fascinating, smart dude, let me tell you. <laughs> okay. I've, I've had the good fortune of knowing John for uh, quite some time. We we met in the uh, early 90s when I was at an organization called Wells Fargo Nico Investment Advisors. And uh, we were doing some um, brand and positioning work there. And I had the good fortune of meeting John through that. And we've, we've uh, maintained our, our uh, collaborations and friendship ever since. And it, like you said, he's always somebody who's off on some kind of interesting adventure. Uh, and there's always something to learn. Uh, from those adventures with him. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's semi-retired at this point, but the yeah. reality is he's a, he's, he is a continual learner and just a really good guy. But I'm going to let everybody know about you, Greg. It's 30 years experience thinking wrong about leadership, innovation, coaching, planning, and decision-making, as well as a broad array of private, public, and civil sector innovation challenges, including product, service, process, systems, policy, experience, engagement, talent, professional development, and cultural innovation. Whew. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. lot. <laughs> so that's a lot. But if you read through that, I think most importantly, I don't want to call this a think tank because he would probably slap me on the hand, but I think what you should look at Solve Next was started in 2012, and it reaches thousands of people per year through client work and innovations. Uh, invitations to participate in top conferences and events around the world. Um, he's recognized by the way as a problem that problem solving is broken and he built a first-of-a-kind cloud-based problem solving system with his ex-co-partner Mike Burns that enables individuals and organizations to transform what is and innovate what's next for themselves or organizations, their communities, and their countries. Think Wrong is used around the world across all sectors, society, from global corporations to individuals running nonprofits. 
Um, he's also serves on the board of Not For Sale, an advisor to Fuse Corp and a board member emeritus of the Hope Street Group. Well, that's a little bit about him. You can look him up on LinkedIn. That's where that bio was. You can go to Solve Next. Again, I would highly encourage you to do that. Greg, why don't we kick this off? I'd really love, I told a little bit about your story before, before the story, but it sets a context for a podcast. Um, why you and your partners decided to turn your passions for innovation into an organization that helps companies develop the rigor and discipline to successfully innovate. Because look, you talk about the, the contrast between performance systems and innovation systems. And I, I think there's really something very significant to this that people need to hear, right? So speak with us, if you would, about this discipline to successfully innovating. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't where we started, right? Where we started was, uh, you know, John is a designer by training. I'm a designer by training. Mike is a geologist by training. So yeah. he <laughs> said he ended up there. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we've always, all three of us were very interested in how do we use uh, human ingenuity to unlock new possibilities and create solutions that didn't exist before. And I think the emphasis of our organization at the very beginning was, really around idea generation and how do we come up with disruptive ideas that are going to lead to something um, something better, you know, however you define better, that's going to drive positive impact in the world. So that was our that was our motivation and, and kind of where we focused in, initially. We had a client, a guy named Brian Fuger, who was the CEO or the CMO, I'm sorry, the CMO, uh, the Chief Marketing Officer at Deloitte Consulting. And Brian uh, was, you know, a great friend. Uh, a great client. We did a lot of fantastic work with him. And he sat me down at one point and said, you know, Greg, I think this is great what you're doing. I, I really like the think wrong methodology. I love how disruptive it is, but I don't think ideas are the problem. I don't think that, that people have a shortage of ideas. What they've got is a shortage of, of, of understanding of how to take those ideas and turn them into something real in the world. And I sort of conveniently ignored Brian for about five years. So, I, you know, he, he, he told us that, but this was when we were super excited about launching Think Wrong and really getting idea generation out there. And it was only with time and having encountered what Brian was trying to describe to me and be helpful about early on that, that we started to look at and say, oh, it's not just idea generation. It's not just how do we come up with something new and creative and how do we use our ingenuity to do that, but how do we use our ingenuity to actually deliver those solutions and make them real in the world to make sure that they can operate. And we finally, um, I had a, a, another client out of uh, South Africa, out of Johannesburg, uh, who was the CFO for Standard Bank there, a guy named Sean Doherty. And Sean and I were, were in a classroom in, uh, in New York. We were presenting to a group of leaders from around the world uh, in, a, in a program called Leading Strategic Change and Growth. And Sean said, what, what, what we really need in the innovation space is to apply the same rigor and discipline that we do in the day-to-day -day operation of our business. We need to do that in innovation. And I found that really compelling. It's something that you don't hear about often that uh, we tend to think it of, seems it seems contrary to what people right. would assume you're going to do and pardon me, I'm going to use this in a think tank uh, where you're trying to explore your intuition more versus yeah. rigor, right? When you think of the word rigor, you're like, 
holy crap, and being innovative isn't supposed to be involved with any kind of rigor. <laughs> well, and, there, and there's, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's not consistent with the mythology that's been built up around the creative people, the creative class, right? Right. People like Steve Jobs and people like Elon Musk, uh, people like uh, Richard Branson, you know, th these are sort of people that we've seen that have been disruptive and, and, and sort of moved things forward in their industries uh, and in areas that fascinated them and that they wanted to be involved in. But they kind of cultivate this mythology of the creative genius and that somehow they've got something that others don't have that makes it possible for them to conceive of the world in ways that others can't. And I do think that they do have genius. I think all you know those three individuals have genius yeah. for good and bad, right? And and uh, uh, but I but what what for the rest of us mere mortals to do this work, we need to have systems for one coming up with new ideas and then two progressing them and making them real. And so um, the, the other thing is that if you look around the landscape, you can see lots of people who've been creative once, they had a genius moment, but they haven't been able to repeat that moment. And that's mm -hmm. where uh, uh, this idea of a system of innovation comes in, which is how can you create a structure in which uh, the constraints and the process actually help you do it again and again and again? What do, what do you would you say about, you know, I've had Stephen Kotler on here before, and you know, of all people checking flow, right? Flow genome. He's yeah. every every book he's ever written, he's been on the show. But there's something interesting around purpose, curiosity, passion, mm -hmm. right? And when you look inside people who've broken the mold, yeah. okay, I would say there is this inherent, I'm just speaking from what i've heard from much of the research yeah um that they're extremely curious yeah. they have a very intense drive toward purpose and if you looked at the people you just profiled branson and all the rest that's there yeah. but when people get stuck okay because thousands of listeners out there right now are going like great you know i got i got a purpose but i'm still stuck right and so my question is how did you break away from traditional problem solving? Because it's not always just a problem. It's like I have identified something, but I'm inventing something new to make it better so that they could really do something. What did Solve Next and you and Bielenberg and Mike come up with that would help the average dude, right? Yeah. And I don't consider myself average, but when I went through your system, yeah. I like it was like a light bulb went off on systems. Yeah. Right. And I was like, how did you guys really come up with these systems that helped me become more innovative? Well, I think that we were looking at what's standing in our way and the two big things that stand in our way uh, uh, that really keep us from imagining new things and, and from pursuing those and making them real are biology, sort of the way that our brain works mm -hmm. and culture and how culture resists change as a way of self uh, self-preservation as a way of, of protecting itself from outside threats so you know so think wrong as a problem solving methodology really is about tricking our brain and tricking our culture into entertaining new possibilities and exploring things that maybe feel weird or strange or or threatening uh, and giving ourselves enough space to do that uh, and then this is where the system of innovation comes in think wrong is just a um, it's a it's a toolkit, it's a process, and it's a skill set uh, that exists in a larger system. 
But and you so, have five kind of principles around it. One of them was be bold. I remember that. Yeah, right? so we have the, yeah, we have, so we have the, the, the six think wrong practices. So six. So, it's like it's like dwarves. They're hard to keep track of in, in seven in Snow White, right? There was there was sleepy, there was dopey, there was right. Well, we have be bold. We have get out. So see, be bold about why are we doing this? Are we being bold enough? What's a, what what are our aspirations? Get out, which is seeking fresh inspiration and and being attentive to new inputs. Let go, letting go of the orthodoxies and biases and assumptions that keep us from generating new possibilities and exploring new possibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, Bet small, which is about how do we take a, 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 an assumption that we're making and test it and learn so that we're progressing on new knowledge and do that very rapidly. Um, and then there was move fast. That's about taking what we're learning and actually using that to accelerate progress, but also leaning into the collaborators that we've assembled around the, pro the project or the opportunity and really trusting their knowledge and trusting their skills so that we're, we're working at a pace that we can't do individually. Um, and, and so, um, oh, and I left out make stuff. See, I, I only gave you five as well. Make stuff is one of the other practices, which is really comes out of design thinking, that idea of rapid, rapidly visualizing and prototyping and building as a way of not only understanding what the solution might be, but getting a deeper understanding uh, as to the problem. So yeah, those, those six, those six uh, think wrong practices are each very useful at different moments in a problem solving process. So well, what we I found, I, I found this, sorry to interrupt, but I, I found that this in your course, and I think this is important, or in the sessions, it was three days, you were able to take, and this is really, really when people out there listening, think about this. People from diverse works of life, you had people from the military, you had people from Google, you had people like me, you put them all in a room and you had them work on not imaginary issues, issues which we could literally do something with. I remember walking out into the community and asking questions and people in restaurants and doing right. just some really fun stuff, right? And the point was, when you walked away, you could see how you could do that. And I always thought, wow, you didn't have people in an innovation team that worked for Google, all of them just sitting in a quadrant going, yeah, we're working on this problem we're trying to solve. We had all kinds of people from all over everywhere. Yeah. Right? Well, I think there's a couple of things uh, in, in that. That One is um, diversity in problem solving is really powerful. So if you have people who have different lived experiences, different points of view, uh, different knowledge, different skills, uh, you know, they might have different belief systems uh, coming from different generations or different geographies. The more diverse the team, the more able it is to actually conceive of things together that no one person could conceive of on their own, because we're blending all of these different uh, strengths together. And we're starting mm -hmm. to look we're starting to look at uh, challenges more holistically. So it sounds like, you know, you experienced that firsthand in, in that intensive uh, session that you went through. The other thing is we do have a bias towards action. So everything that we do is actually built in such a way to, to give you the practical tools that you need to do this work, not just to deliver theory, but to say, what, what's the, what's a common language that we can use to that that's accessible that we can use to describe what we're doing. What are frameworks that we have that help organize our thinking and our actions? So like in the think wrong intensive, you learned about the deflection point, you know, moving from the status quo up to the future state. Um, you learned about the certainty map where we're thinking about how certain are we about the problem? How certain are we about the solution? What does that tell us about which of these practices we should use? So you start to, to start to have these tools that you can use to start to organize the way that you're gonna approach the problem. 
Um, and then drills, the, skills, yes, the drills. That's exactly. Part, that's the part drills of your. Are, that's part of your software. Absolutely. But you know, you know, Greg, what I think is at the crux of this, like the what you originally said, the guy from South Africa told you, right. "Hey, we yeah. gotta devise some." I think that was genius. Did he not write a book too? No, I, I wish not. Would. Yeah, I thought he sure. did. So no, no. I was thinking no. that he was in the banking industry, but then yeah. that sparked you. Yeah. Many organizations struggle to balance the need for efficiency and productivity yeah. and the desire to innovate and create. How do the frameworks, tools, skills that you teach in your book and think wrong conquer that status quo and drive what you referred to at your website, yeah. rapid change? Now, I'm not certain if that isn't a conundrum because I've never seen really super rapid change. Um, you know, I'm watching what's going on in our world today with the fires and the floods, heat yeah. and whatever. And I, I look at the social biologists that I interviewed um, that did the watchman's rattle. And she said, it's almost like we, we wait until it's right in front of our freaking faces. We're going to get hit by a Mack truck because our species just doesn't know pardon me, how the fuck to do it any differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that I, I, you know, right. I think the word rapid is relative, right? Yeah. 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 We, rapid. We're talking yeah. about doing it faster than we are, than we, than we currently are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree. So there's two things um, that there's, there is a, there is a new book underway right now, which is going to be called the next book. And it's all about next systems and how, and uh, how to build a next system versus the now system. So the, the, the innovation system versus the performance system that has all been informed by the think wrong work, by the work that we didn't think wrong, the book that we wrote and how we've been deploying that and using it in conjunction with clients around the world. Um, and it really is a response to this, to this request from Sean Doherty, which was, you know, I need to manage disciplined, rigorous way to manage to 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 um, uh, handle the innovation work that's being done here. And so a system of innovation actually looks at the people layer. It looks at the process layer and it looks at, at, at the platform layer of your innovation system. So it looks at what are the roles and responsibilities and skills and knowledge and expertise that's required what is the process by which this work gets done? How do we manage portfolios of innovation opportunities? How do we make decisions? How do we do funding? All of that. What does governance look like in an innovation system? And then it sits on top of this, um, on top of a platform which has some sort of some hard assets in it, like software and tools, knowledge, data, those sorts of things. But it also has it should contain your organization's expression of what is our purpose. So back to your, 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 your um, conversation around purpose and curiosity and passion. What is our vision? What impact do we want to make? What difference do we want to make? Do we have values and a purpose statement that actually celebrate and honor the importance of innovation to our future and the contribution that we're going to make to our markets, to society, whatever the level of ambition of the organization is. So, a system of innovation um, starts to look at the, the, this, the stack and, and really it's about working with organizations to get very clear and concrete about what is it that we're putting in place to make sure that innovation can succeed in our organization. They've done that work for the performance system side. They've done that work for the 
um, for the for the part that is running procedures and producing the known solutions, but not the innovation side. But not the innovation side. So in and your video, you've got a really great video, by the way, and I'll thanks. tell my listeners, it's uh, it's called the difference. Well, it's not called. It's performance systems versus innovation systems. Um, that video, there's some key differences, right? Yeah. And yeah. if you would tell the listeners what those differences are and why a company of almost any size would, <laughs> yeah. would really want to understand this. Yeah. This isn't just for Google. This just isn't no, for no. Airbus. This isn't, it's, it's for everybody. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody recently. They say, well, if you're a startup, do you need to have a performance system? I go, like, oh, absolutely. What startups do is they, they basically usually will rent a performance system because they can't afford to build one their own. So they outsource a whole bunch of those things. Um, but, it, but, uh, but you want to have both the performance system and the innovation system in place. And those two things need to work in concert. But the difference is when we know what the problem is and we know what the solution is, then our focus ought to be on operational excellence. It ought to be on how can we deliver the, those, those known solutions to those, that known set of problems as efficiently and effectively as possible. And, and in that situation, um, disruption and, and uncertainty are really the enemy, right? Because they could mm -hmm. drag, they create friction, they, they create disruption. And so uh, an example would be in that people layer, you wanna have, you wanna have uh, experienced operators who know how to mitigate risk or minimize risk. And there's a mindset of risk avoidance in a next, I'm mean, sorry, in a now system in the, in the performance system. On the other side, where you have an innovation system, you want leaders who understand exploration and experimentation and discovery and who embrace uncertainty and who know how to take on risk in a way that doesn't put the whole organization in jeopardy, but actually is smart about uh, deploying uh, capital against opportunities in order to generate learning. And so, it's really different mindsets, but both organizations need leaders, right? The performance system and the and the uh, innovation system, both need leaders who have a mindset and an attitude about risk. They're just in opposition to each other because let's just use our client who uh, designs aircraft and and builds aircraft, commercial aircraft, uh, aircraft for the defense space. You don't want on the performance side, you don't want somebody to say, hey, I've got an idea. We're going to try something we never did today on this airplane that you're flying on, right? But you do know that somebody needs to be looking at experimental design in terms of wing configurations, in terms of different alternative fuels. And, and there's a whole way of uh, beginning to explore and discover what might create a faster plane or a more fuel efficient plane or a we're plane not that, that we're not that far off from an electric plane they say even with solar power absolutely i mean i, I, mean, I don't think it's that far away is it greg they they're the solar planes are flying today yeah and electric planes are flying today and electric helicopters are flying today and um, imagine what that's going to do to the co2 emissions yeah you know i mean just if you really think about it it's 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 intense uh, but but again, you you don't want to be flying from, uh, you know, from San Diego to New York and have the pilot come on and say, "Hey, today we loaded the plane up with fuel we've never tried before." Right? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I I could get off that plane. So in the performance, uh, system, we have plenty of sunshine. We'll make it to New York because our solar banners exactly. <laughs> to, so, to propel so this thing. The performance system 
it, it you know has a certain set of requirements in terms of what you're going to do in the in the in the uh, innovation system uh, a different set of requirements it doesn't mean that there's different uh that there are different categories of components there's different flavors of component right so leadership leadership mindset mindset just different right um the process that is the process that you use to operate your existing organization is not the same process of discovery and experimentation and validation that you use to run your innovation system. They both need to have defined processes that are run effectively, that are governed by a set of rules. The rules that govern your now system will not work for your next system because right. they're, they're, those that rule set is there to minimize risk. Not to do, not to take risk on in, in an intelligent, smart way, so that you can discover new things. So, well, I always find it fascinating. You know, I can I can take and distill this down into some just reality TV show, right? And I and I happen <laughs> to be a fan of Restaurant Impossible, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners have seen it. And they see Robert Irvine, and he always comes in and says, "Do you know your system?" Mm. And they'll all say, "No." Well, do you have a P and L? Do you no? Do you know how much money you're making off your food? No. And then he'll draw the circle with the process with one third, one third, one third, yeah. right? And he gets that. Now they have to innovate them way, their way out of where they are with new systems, procedures, and innovation to actually make this place more profitable, more whatever. But if you take it at its basic level, right? And you go, okay. Hey, is this, he goes in and he disrupts, he shakes the shit out of people. He changes the inside of the business. And then he says, Hey, we're going to make money. And most of them do, but yeah. you, know, you gave an example of Airbus, which I know that's one of your customers, sure. real world examples that have yeah. successfully integrated both performance and innovation systems. How has this integration benefited the growth and sustainability as far as you're concerned? Because every business from the one I just said, a little mom and pop restaurant all the way up to Airbus and Google. Yeah. When you look at some of the stuff that's going on, personalities, people, innovation, design, sure. all this stuff, it all plays in there. Uh, can you give us a few other examples of places where people have worked with you and they've had huge successes? Um, yeah. So, I, you know, I think, <laughs> Um, it, it's interesting. We, we do some work with the with an organization called the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. So it's a it's a funny space. But I find industry associations really interesting. They aggregate the 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 buying power and the brain power of an entire industry. And the council has been really um, forward looking in terms of both innovating for the industry association itself and then pushing skills and capabilities out to its members. And what what uh, what we see there is uh, a shift towards running a portfolio of innovation projects and actually setting clear innovation goals that are different than their operational goals and making ma making fantastic progress on that. And that's a big shift. Um, the other thing is they're doing all of this knowledge transfer out to their member organizations. So they're benefiting from sort of pooling their investment in innovation and then distributing the, the skills and tools back out. Um, so I think that's one, that's an interesting model that does the, that organization see automation and software and AI actually playing a big role in the future toward the replacement of, uh, their brokers and agents. I mean, because if you look at, I have a big history in that industry and they're slow to change. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? 
So yes. my question is, do you, are they concerned? Are they? I think I think everybody's concerned. <laughs> I don't think there's okay. anybody concerned about AI. <laughs> um, I what they're doing is they're really taking, they're really looking at data and how to use data and how to use technologies like AI to 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 provide far superior advice and counsel okay. to, to their customers. And so I think they're looking at this uh, in terms of you know as the kind of assistant or co-pilot that will help them aggregate and understand and interpret very you know, vast amounts of data and to use that powerfully for their, for their customers and clients. The other thing that's really been changing in the insurance industry is this sort of expansion into um, employee benefits and wellness uh, and health and wellness and well-being. And so starting is looking at how do we use this data to not only insure against the unknown or the unforeseen and to you know deal with things like property and casualty and that kind of thing or errors but health our health but also how do we right how do we create healthier organizations that actually require less <laughs> they're going to have fewer claims right because they're actually uh healthy well productive organizations well i'm working with one actually in san ramon and they are it's called uh medicarma m-e-d-i-k-a-r-m-a yeah you shared the that with and they literally suck all of your health information <laughs> into their app and yep. you take a health risk assessment and they use predictive analytics to actually say, hey, Greg, based on the current data, we actually see where you might have, uh, you know, prostate cancer in five years or you're proponed to diabetes or whatever. And the carriers are getting aboard because that predictive analytics from the AI taking both your health risk assessment, and whatever, is really it's very quite accurate. It's yeah. it's pretty damn accurate. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to get more and more people come yeah. come aboard now. Um, so, you just made me think of something. So that example, uh, another client that we worked with is, is called NAVC. NAVC is the organization that's responsible for the design, build and maintenance of the U.S. Naval Fleet. OK, and and in, in, in the same same way that Metacarma is looking at your health data, they're looking at all of the data that's produced by the operation of the naval fleet and looking at building a digital twin of the fleet. Mm. What you can do with a digital twin of the U.S. naval fleet. Amazing. Right? I mean, everything from on peace and security standpoint, how do you deploy it around the world, but also the predictive analytics. When does a ship need to come into port? Can you have the part that it's going to need ready to install before it breaks? You know, uh, what, how can you reduce hazards that, you know, create to something that uh, a great risk to sailors of uh, fire on board, right? So how do you start to use the, how do you start to use that data and these, and these powerful tools to start to operate um, healthier humans, <laughs> as you're talking about, healthier, uh, you know, a, a healthier fleet of ships and, and aircraft around the world. Well, I um, think as we've all seen this war yes. fought in Ukraine mm -hmm. and we've seen the use of drones. Now, I'm not saying we didn't have drones before, but mm -hmm. when you look at the reduction and kind of the loss of life of people flying jet planes and sending drones out for intelligence and to actually do part of the warfare itself, yeah. uh, it's pretty fascinating. It, it's advanced a lot. Uh, to be able to say, hey, let's go put up, you know, 10 drones in the sky and we're going to be I, able to see everything. Yeah. And I suspect we don't even know the, 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 the we know just a little teeny bit of what's really <laughs> going on and how technology is being used in that uh, conflict. Oh, I, I uh, can guarantee you so, that. Yeah. I want to drive people to the website because you've got two ebooks up at the website, free sure. downloadable. 
Yeah. And I'd like you to speak to listeners about the five innovation mistakes, okay. one, and the other book is the five crisis mistakes, yeah. which is the other ebook. And I, and I, the reason I wanted to get these ebooks in is there's nothing better than a little ebook for people to download yeah. to really get a quick, you know, kind of take on what uh, Solve Next is about. So can you speak with our listeners about the five innovation yeah. Yeah, sure. And and the two, the two ebooks that you're talking about, we really we created as um, really to help people have conversations inside their organization. So you know, we always benefit from people who are ready to drive change and and to create change in their organization. Sometimes they need a little bit of an assist in terms of going and having the hard conversations inside their own organization. So these two books were really these two little booklets are are um, uh, aimed at that person who wants to create a change, and and it it gives them some. Uh, fodder for those conversations. So, in the in the five uh, it, it mistakes of innovation, the five, that that book, um, the first one really is proclaiming that you want a culture of innovation. We hear that a lot. We go into clients and they say we want a culture of innovation, and <clears throat> the reality is that. Um, culture is the outcome of having a system. It's not the input. Um, what we what we think is important. You're not going to turn on a light switch and create the culture no, of innovation. No, 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 you don't. <laughs> Although you might, you might, you know, if you turn the light switch on or off, you might create a culture that responds to light, right? So <laughs> exactly, culture exactly. is an outcome of of of, of something, not an input. Um, but the, the emphasis in that booklet really is on the idea of, of uh, a culture of experimentation. What it's saying is ex embrace being experimental, embrace being uh, the idea of discovery and learning. So that's, that's the first mistake is this, we want a culture of innovation. And it comes from, and it's, this story is shared in the Think Wrong book of us go, going in to visit um, JP Morgan in New York and seeing this big jumbotron sign saying, you know, fostering a culture of innovation. And when I sat down with the six heads of innovation for JP Morgan, I asked them, what does it say in your lobby? And they, they said, oh, we don't know. It, so it, it's lip service, right? And so it's not enough to, to, to um, give lip service by saying we're building a culture of innovation. You actually need to create a culture where, where experimentation, uh, discovery, and learning are constantly happening. The, the second mistake, and this is important for big organizations and, and organizations of any size, really, um, other than a brand new startup, and that is confusing an entrepreneur with an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are not the same. If you're an established organization, you're not like a startup in that you have a lot to lose. You've built up a customer base. You've built up products or services or experiences. You've built up a reputation. And, and you, you, when you do something new, you may be putting that at risk. So you need to be smart about how you do that. The other thing is you need to understand that you have a lot of resource and a lot of, um, you have assets that are available that most entrepreneurs don't have. And so you really want to leverage those. Uh, you really want to leverage those resources, those assets and make the most out of them and not, not make it difficult for the entrepreneurs in your organization to do that work. Um, the third mistake in that booklet talks about asking for ROI too soon. So the, the, the whole idea of it, when I'm not sure what the problem is and I'm not sure what the solution is, 
I certainly can't tell you what the return on investment is going to be. So uh, you really want to reframe the question. What we do is we, we talk about asking for LFI rather than ROI. What's the learning from investment? So what will we know by from taking this next step that we didn't know before that will make us more certain about the problem or make us more certain about the solution and more ready to decide whether we're going to pursue that new business or that new process or that new policy? Uh, the, the fourth mistake, and I think this is the this is the one that's really kind of um, preoccupying us these days it, is the lack of a systematic approach. That is just mm -hmm. saying, hey, you know, innovation is the is the realm of the creative and let them just go be, you know, creative, wear their black berets and their black turtleneck sweaters and <laughs> think they're, you know, creative job. It just doesn't happen that way. As you and I both have these black yeah. shirts on. <laughs> well, that's line. So, um, the, well, exactly. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I went to art school and I said that it's so funny because art people in art school are always um, putting their nose up at how conformist everybody is. And then you look around and say, oh, they're all conforming to what they think. Exactly. Art. We all look like the same. We look like little <laughs> yeah, exactly. lemmings, all robots, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but so this mistake of, of lacking a systematic approach and says, actually take a portfolio-based, systems-based approach to your innovation. Start thinking about your portfolios. What do you expect your return to be from the different portfolios? What kind of impact do you want? How do you, how do you weight the different forms of capital that you're going to invest in those or that you hope that they will create? All, it's, it's, it's being very, uh, back to the rigorous and disciplined, very rigorous and disciplined about how you're going to pursue this. Um, the, the fifth mistake in that book is really around the, the uh, misunderstanding what the roles are and, and how it, it's going to be adopted inside your organization. What often happens, what we see in a lot of our client organizations is that they somebody gets the innovation bug. And like, look, we the word in, you know the word innovation sometimes feels a little tired because people have been talking about innovation as being crucial for decades. Um, and most organizations have been failing to realize the potential of it. They've been they they've been dissatisfied with the results. Um, and often, what happens is an executive thinks it's important, but they don't take a systems based approach. Managers don't want to have anything to do with it because it's highly disruptive. Uh, staff level folks get excited because it's an opportunity to do something new, something exciting within their role or within their organization, but they're not getting the support that they need from, from managers and they're not getting the, the, the governance and the executive decision-making and leadership that they need from, from the top of the organization. So getting clear about that is, is, um, is essential. So that those are the those are the uh, five. But there's certain industries, Greg. Yeah, let's absolutely. face it, that do better with this than others. And I think, you know, yeah. we can we we've you and I have grown up. <laughs> you and I weren't digital natives. Yeah. But you know, Apple came along, Microsoft came along, Google yeah. came along, Adobe came along. All these companies that you live in their backyard came along, right? Yeah. And basically. They, they became very cash rich because society just, we all ran in a direction to adopt whatever it was that they had and they yeah. had the resources. So the innovation that was coming out of these companies, and I, I still commend Apple, maybe not as much because I don't see as much rapid innovation coming out of Apple. Wait, um, iPhone 14, what do you mean? That's not rapid enough. Right? No. It's the 14th version of the same product. <laughs> well, what I see is, you know, I, again, it's it's marketing to the public mm -hmm. 
a few more features in a phone or whatever it might be. My, my point to you is this, we've gotten so used to hearing this because the whole NASDAQ is filled with just, we, we we're reporting to our stockholders that we're still making a profit because we're still innovating and still selling products. And I always think that's, I think it's important, but on the other hand, if you don't have a fund set aside that says we've got $1 billion to do innovation hmm. and it, you know, it's going into this innovation arena. And I know that many of these companies have huge funds that are, they're doing that with it. But you know, when you, when you take this down to the small guy, they're not sitting on a billion dollar fund to go innovate. What would you comment? I mean, what are the, what are the biggest mistakes and how do they become wildly creative? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think, I think, you know, some of this is like all things easier said than done. Right. But I think being structured about how you're going to spend your time. And the thing is, if you're a small, if you're a small business or, you know, you're just getting started, um, you have a small operation, you're not going to have the luxury of saying, I'm going to have a whole a, a team of people I'm going to put full time on in my innovation system. They're just going to focus on what's next. And I have a team that's focused on operating now. So you have to, you actually have to develop the discipline of doing that yourself and say, how much of my time am I going to allocate to now? And how much of my time am I going to allocate to next? How much of my resource am I going to allocate? How much of my how much of my revenue am I going to allocate to those things? And you have to get, you have to get disciplined about it. You have to say, you know, some of the work I'm going to be doing is about improving the performance of what is, and I'm going to be innovative, but they're going to be small, little innovations, incremental things that are improvements to how we're doing things right now. You know, you're super experimental in terms of playing with new technologies and looking at how could this make my life better or easier or produce a, high, a higher quality product all the time. You're constantly doing that. Then there's some things that are looking where, where you're going to spend, okay, how much of my time I'm going to spend on growth opportunities where I'm going to bring something new to my existing customers, or I'm going to modify something I'm doing so I can access a new market. How much of my time I'm going to spend on coming up with totally disruptive things, right? Where I, where I, where, where I'm just going to change the game. Right. Um, and, and you're a finite resource. So you've got to think about <laughs> if I am the fund, right? Because I can't, I don't have a billion dollars. So I am the fund or my 10 people or my five people or my three people. We're the fund. How am I going to take that fund of knowledge and skills and, and talents and how I'm going to deploy it across a portfolio of opportunities? Some of it's going to be on now. Some of it's going to be on next. Within next, some of it's going to be incremental improvement. Some of it's going to be growth. Some of it's going to be reinvention. Um, some of it is even going to be around what we call maximize, which are what are the things we're going to stop doing? Because when I stop doing them, they free up my capital. Right? Mm, right? Yeah, really important points you're we're, making. We're, we're bad at subtraction. We're bad at stopping. So as a, as a species, I mean, not you and me, the whole species, we're really good at taking on more, doing more, doing more. We're really bad at saying, okay, this I'm going to stop doing. And as I get out of it, I'm going to capture the value that was generated by doing it, but I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I think that, that again, this comes back to the way our brains are wired. Mm -hmm. um, fear can't enter the picture if you're going to be a trailblazer. Mm -hmm. um, so to trailblaze, you have to be willing to take risks. Mm -hmm. so if we throw all these words up on a board and we said trailblazer risk, you know, our memes, what's actually defining who we are as a person and whatever, and just put it in a blender and mixed it all up and said, you know, what's the new formula? 
for somebody who would innovate, create, while at the same time looking at that. And here's where my question is going. In, in view of the role of somebody who's a leader uh, and he's promoting this culture of innovation, as you said, you don't really get a culture. Building a system uh, that will result in a culture. The system that will result. And that leaders effectively integrate the principles from your book. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say think wrong and the trainings. Yeah. Next Academy, which you just did, right? Right. Um, we, yeah, we did the Leaders of Next Intensive. We just did in Maryland. And then we had the Next Academy is our online academy. It's where people can get access to the Think Wrong course and the Leaders of Next course, and then some tips on how to run effective innovation. Well, sessions. people should know that. I think it's only like $199 or something, right? For the, for the Think Wrong course. Yeah. So that's yeah. A, a very accessible. So, I mean, it's very accessible for people yeah. to dip their toe into this. Yeah. All I'm trying to tell people who are listening, you don't have to dive in for thousands of dollars. They've got ways, you know, look, hey, start off just getting the book. If the book That's makes the sense affordable to you, version. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if this makes sense to you, this is your least barrier to entry. Then you yeah. go online and you can sign up for the courses, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the next thing would be to basically go through the, the uh, um, and a site where you you can do it online or you can do it in person right and you have those set up on there where people could attend right and i don't know what the money is involved in it but believe me for everyone listening it'd be the best investment you'd ever make um only because it's going to open to your mind to what's really available for your organization your people and to actually change things and embrace change and innovation uh, versus being resistant to it. Um, You know, you said this a minute ago, but you said, hey, rapid prototyping and learning from failure. Yeah. Okay. I don't mind using the word failure. I like to use learning experiences, though. I I do, too. (laughs) Can you share some examples of how this iterative approach has led to breakthrough innovations for your clients. Because when I think of prototyping, I think, okay, great, I'm gonna go take this and I'm gonna make this part and this part and this part, and we're gonna yeah. put it together and we're gonna test it, we're gonna make it. Some people go through that, but how, how have some of your clients used what you've taught them yeah. to rapidly innovate and to get some breakthrough innovations? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a couple of stories. One actually <laughs> is uh, is connected to the um the health app that you were talking about it was it was actually in the pet space and so we were working with a company their pet food company uh and they were very interested in um technologies that would assess the health of your dog or your cat oh, cool uh, and they were yeah and they were building they were, they were using these technologies and they were starting to build some prototypes um and they're they, what they were learning was that the um was that the technology worked uh, in terms of indicating um, you know, whether or not your, your cat or your dog was in good health or whether they had um, some sort of a condition that was emerging that needed to be treated. Um, so it had some great properties in terms of being predictive. Um, they were testing the, the, the idea of it was the solution they were imagining doable, but what they hadn't done was really the thing that came before that, which was around, is it wanted? 
Uh, and so if we're building a new solution, a new product offering for a marketplace, we want to make sure that there's going to be market demand, right? That there's right. going to be a need for this. And so working with them, we stepped, you know, were able to sort of step back and they were, they were able to discover that, it, that in fact, um, by engaging with uh, with customers and, and talking with them, having open-ended interviews and, uh, and, and really just listening for what the customer was telling them, what they learned was that some of this predictive stuff was 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 scary to the customer like they right. I, I, like I, you know a litter tray that tells me my cat's going to die in 9 months is not what i want right <laughs> because right. it's kind of your analysis that says your cat's got kidney failure right and it's and and it's about to have a bad 9 months and you're going to be or 6 months and you're and you're going to go along for that right so so a lot of these technologies were just giving them more uh, more concrete knowledge about <laughs> the expiration date of their pet. <laughs> what, what they learned was that people what people really wanted was to know how their how their dog or their cat was feeling. But it, it, this is going to sound crazy, Greg, but what people wanted was to be able to talk to their dogs and cats and have their dogs and cats uh -huh. talk to them. And and so this was a big epiphany for the client because what they realized was. This, they were way too focused on the technology and not focused on the relationship between the the, the guardian and the animal, and um, and what they discovered out of that was they said, okay, look, we can't turn everybody into Doctor Doolittle, but we can uh, start to think about some proxies for spoken language, and what they ended up looking at was um, a, a health indicator that could be measured with technology that would show you whether you're dog or your cat was in a um a state of mind that was uh sort of at peace at ease uh you know um calm or whether they are feeling anxious or stressed ah. things you can do to intermediate right so if a dog is a, if a dog is stressed and you're at work you can deploy a toy for them to play with or you can have a treat be dispensed that can right. calm down right so there are things you could do even if you're not present with technology that sort of allowed people to get what they were looking for by having but by, by this this desire or dream that they had of being able to speak with their animals that is like how are you doing what can i how can i help you can i you know for the equivalent of can i give you a rub on the shoulders right it's kind of thing right I relax you and calm you down so so it was through this um it was actually by stepping back and looking at the stage of is it wanted by doing empathetic interviewing uh, and then by beginning to prototype and visualize these alternative solutions very quickly that they were able to learn that. And one of the really amazing results they got is before any product existed at all, they put an ad up on Facebook and they got 10,000 responses to the ad. Mm. So they, and it was just a faked product, right? They just, it was just like the, the simplest prototype you can come up with, a simple right. Facebook ad posted where they got massive response to it. And what, so what that said is, boy, this thing is really wanted. And now we have 10,000 names of people that we can beta test with. Because Well, that feedback cycle, whether you're doing crowdfunding, I have a friend that mm -hmm. owns LaunchBoom and Mark does that kind of testing first before yeah. he'll ever take a product on. And I think what you just explained about this company that wanted initially to make an app to determine if their dog was healthy and then took a step back to really look at what was more important from the guardian, right? Which is, is my dog happy? Can I deploy a toy? Can I do whatever? And I've seen some things that actually do that. And yeah. along the lines of the kitty litter, there's a guy that's advertising now 
that when the cat pees, it turns four different colors. So I don't know if it's actually out there and telling them what their health is, but I have actually seen the ad. So it will come. I, it will, I mean, no doubt it will come. I think yeah. what I, I just heard last week that people were very excited about their uh, um, robotic cat litter trays. I don't know about yeah, this, but that's so, it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so pretty interesting, but you know, look, the, the, I don't know how many billions every year is invested in our cats and our dogs and our animals, but you know, a lot of money in the US. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we could speak to them, meaning like in the English language, I think there's other ways to to actually connect with your animals. But um, I thought that's fascinating. That's a grit was a really good good example about you helping a company take a step back, get some feedback, use the feedback to go into a different loop and then take it into a whole new area. Now to sum up the interview, yeah. I want to conclude, what would your advice be to people that are listening to this podcast, whether they're in a team, they're a leader, who want to embrace innovation and adopt the principles you teach to drive positive change within the organization? I know my son is the head of a big team at Adobe, and this is something they're always like dealing with, right? It's like, okay, how do I get these 32 people aboard aligned in the same direction saying, this is where I want to go with this. And this is really what we should do. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's two pieces to it. One is getting the, the alignment that you just talked about. Super important. So being clear that, Hey, our leader, the executives, the managers, and the practitioners, the innovation team leaders or the innovators on teams, they all need to be aligned and they need to be aligned uh, uh, to a, shared uh, set of things. And this, I'm going to give you an equation. <laughs> you talked about okay. equation. This is an equation that I, that, um, that, that I uh, picked up from Rita McGrath, uh, who we sometimes co-teach with in Columbia. See around uh, corners. Let's go see around some corners. I love every, anything Rita, Rita writes, I'm going to read. Um, so Rita's the equation is T equals D times V times P. And I'll tell you I, what. I've heard it before. Yes. So, so T equals the transformation. So if I have my, my executives, my managers, and my innovation team leaders and innovators to say, hey, the transformation that we're aligned on the transformation we're trying to create, what's the from to shift, right? The predictable path to the bold path. What's the big shift we're trying to create? So that's the T equals D. Now D is, dissatisfaction so that is that is our dissatisfaction with the current state with that with that predictable path so we have to be dissatisfied with the way things are if we're going to change them to how we want them to be there has to be enough discontent with the way things are in order to make that move so again do my executives do my managers and do my my teams understand what the different kinds of dissatisfaction are for different constituents different stakeholders because what the dissatisfaction for an executive might be very different than somebody else. Um, and so have we identified that? Do we have a clear vision of the future state that we're trying to create? What's the, what is that bold path future state we're trying to create? Are we all aligned towards that? Do we find that compelling? Is that worth pursuing? Is it worth giving up the comfort of where we are today to where we want to be? And then finally, do we have a process for getting there? And all of this work that we're doing around Think Wrong and all of the work that we're doing around Leaders of Next and teaching people how to build a system of innovation is about putting in place a process for getting there, not just once, but repeatedly over and over again. So how do I get from 
the current state to the future state. And then once I'm at the future state, how do I create it? How do I create the next one? And how do I create the next one? So that it's a repeating cycle of driving positive. And that formula is a great way to wrap this up because, you know, I was thinking as you were going through the letters and I was just recalling to myself, I'm like, okay, I've heard that, you know, I know it. And I go all the way back to Wilson learning, Larry Wilson. Mm. And Larry Wilson used to use that formula when he would do his ropes training uh, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Now he put thousands of people um, through uh, the training. And I really think that's an excellent way to kind of pull this all together, especially when it comes to positive change with inside of organizations and how you're going to make that happen. And for all my listeners, Greg Galley is one of the authors of this book. Go out and get Think Wrong. You can order it off of Amazon. You can order it from their website, I think. Can you? Uh, you can get it from Amazon for sure. They're the biggest seller. Of, uh, yeah. And so it's I an easy read, by the way, folks. Looks how it's like, it's like laid out. He's got a new <laughs> book coming up. I can't wait to see what that one's all about. He says- and I've, got a, I've got a great co-author, but I can't tell you who it is. I'm just okay. going to- yeah, all right. It's whoever I'm, it is, I'm sure it's going to be good. Super excited to be working with my co-author. <laughs> uh, super. Well, Greg, thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth, sharing some of your insights and your wisdom about you know performance systems versus innovation systems versus all these examples you've given my audience about uh, uh, things that you've actually done and changes you've seen with inside companies who've adopted it. Again, everybody listening, go to solvenext.com. There you can find the courses. There you can find everything you need to know about Greg. There's those two little eBooks we talked about that you could download um, on the mistakes. Definitely get those and read them. And you have a little button you push there. You can reach out to somebody with inside uh, the Solve Next team, and I'm sure they'll correspond with you. Greg, thanks so much for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thanks, Greg. It's awesome to see you again, as always. Take care, buddy. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.